chapter 7. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was, very, uh, who was highly favored, highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning, uh, turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Uh, and, those who had, uh, and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. These are our readings for today. And I actually want to focus on uh, that last reading from Luke 7 as my focus for my message today. We're going to kind of go through it and uh, stop and talk at some of the main points. So right, in, right away in verse 2, we are introduced to a centurion. Now notice, he's not given a name. He's just identified by what he does. But he's going to be a model and a, a great example of faith in this story. Then in verse 3, he hears about this guy named Jesus. Now, we do not know exactly what he heard, uh, but at this point in Luke's uh, narrative, gospel narrative, Jesus has performed miracles. And so it's fair to believe that this guy has heard that maybe this guy really is a healer. But notice, he hears about Jesus and his response is, I need this guy to come and heal my servant who is dying. I really don't want that to be overlooked. Uh, he hears about Jesus, and he believes in him enough to ask him to heal his servant. Now, people, some people who read this, they might think, well, this guy is just desperate. You know, he's just throwing up a Hail Mary, hoping that maybe this guy actually is who he says he is. Or they might think, well, this guy is just naive, believing all these stories that he's heard without, you know, checking his sources and actually finding out for himself. But here's the thing. No matter the reasoning, he heard about Jesus and he believed in him, even to the point of trusting, entrusting the life of his valued servant with him. Now, there's an interesting distinction that shows up in the next few verses. How the centurion is viewed by himself versus how he is viewed by others. Uh, can we go back to the last slide, please? Um, yeah, so in verses 4 and 5, we see the centurion who sends Jewish elders on his behalf to go to Jesus so that he might come and heal his servant. And as soon as they get to Jesus, they start hyping the centurion up. Because listen to what they say. He is worthy for you to have him do this, uh, for you to do this for him. For he loves our nation. He's the one who built our synagogue. 
They wanted Jesus to know this guy is amazing. You know, he is worthy to have Jesus come and fulfill his request. At this point, I can kind of picture Jesus just having a bit of a smirk on his face when they said that he is worthy. But Jesus does go with him. Then on the flip side, in verses 6 and 7, we see a bit of a different stance. So the centurion, uh, the, the elders that the centurion had sent really hyped up the centurion. They asked Jesus uh, to come based on the merit of what he had done. But when Jesus was approaching the house, the centurion sends another message out saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. What a remarkable statement. You know, here these Jews are, the Jewish elders are trying to entice Jesus based on the qualifications of the centurion. Meanwhile, he's like, I am not worthy. I am not worthy enough to come to you myself, let alone have you come into my house. He may not know, have known exactly who Jesus was. He may not have been able to say all the things like we confess in the Apostles' Creed, but he knew enough to know that before Jesus, he was not worthy. This guy who had been praised by other people saw himself as unworthy compared to Jesus. I think that message is still relevant today. You know, there are so many different ways people around the world are telling you, you are worthy. You are perfect the way you are. You deserve the best. You deserve everything you desire. And when we start to believe that we are worthy, that we are good enough, that we do deserve everything that we want, any bit of humility goes out the door. The centurion could have either been humble, like he was, or he could have taken to heart the words of the people around him who who built him up, and he could have thought, yeah, you know what? I am worthy. Jesus would be so lucky as to help me out. But you can't be both proud and humble at the same time. There are plenty of examples in Scripture that talk about pride and humility. In James, it says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In James, it also says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. In Matthew, Jesus says that whoever humbles himself like a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. These are just a few examples, but they all get to the larger truth that when it comes before God, we need to, be, we need to have a spirit of humility. Humility that sees ourselves as sinners, as unworthy, not as prideful, thinking that we're so great or thinking that God owes us anything. 
And that's the stance that the centurion had before Jesus. Humility. But he also had boldness. He had a bold faith. His boldness was not found in himself, though. His boldness and his confidence was found in the person and work of Jesus. Listen again to what he says to Jesus. But say the word and let my servant be healed. His confidence in Jesus' ability to heal is just like so matter of, a, a matter of fact. He just believes it. You know, he equates it to how he has soldiers underneath him. If he says to one of them, go, they go. If he says to one of them, do this, they do it. That is how much he believes in Jesus. If Jesus says it, it is done. That is a confident, bold faith, faith that the centurion has in Jesus and his word. We, too, find our confidence in Jesus. As Christians, our only true source of confidence is uh, found in the death and resurrection of Jesus that has forgiven our sins, that gives us access to the throne of God. It gives us access to bring our requests to him. But do we always have that kind of big, bold faith? Faith that he can do the impossible? I'll speak for myself. You know, there are times that my faith can feel so small. And sometimes I don't boldly bring my request to God. Or I don't believe boldly that he can do them. I'm guessing I'm not the only one who is that way sometimes. If you've ever felt like your faith can be small at times, listen to what, Ma uh, what Jesus says in Matthew 17. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from there to here, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Let's just take a time out. Let's just be real. That statement is absolutely nuts, right? That is bonkers crazy. Mountains don't do that. that that's kind of part of being a mountain. It's just there. It doesn't move, let alone with a few words. But look at what Jesus says. He says, even with the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, if you don't know, the mustard seed is an incredibly small seed, but when it grows, it grows to be bigger than any other tree. Now, let me ask you a question. A show of fingers, how many mountains have you moved? I'm guessing we're probably all at zero. But the question even more important than how many mountains have you moved is, do you believe that those mountains could be moved? Even though everything in this physical world, every bit of logic definitively says, no, mountains can't be moved, do you believe they could be? Even though there are things in your life that seem absolutely impossible, like they could never physically happen, every bit of de logic definitively says no, do you believe they can be? The real question of our faith is not, do you believe God will? 
It's, do you believe God can? Because are we going to receive everything that we ask for if we just pray and believe hard enough? No, I wouldn't be driving in in a 2007 Saturn if that were the case. Now, there are plenty of preachers out there who will say, you just need to believe harder, you just need to pray harder, and God will give you what you ask for. But that's not true. That's not true on the basis of God's word. God does give good gifts and answer prayer according to his good and perfect will. And he does give us the request of our hearts sometimes. But what faith says is, even if he doesn't do what I'm asking for, I believe he can. If you're hearing that thinking, I don't even know if I'm there right now. Just remember what Jesus said about having faith the size of a mustard seed. God doesn't uh, need us to come with a, a perfect faith. Doesn't need us to come necessarily with that kind of faith that the centurion had. He can work with our faith that feels as small as mustard seed at times. Going back to our reading, uh, going back to the centurion, in verse 10, uh, we do find out that the centurion's servant is healed. It's important to remember, too, because God does give us good things, and he does give us the request of our hearts sometimes. And when he does, we thank and we praise him for it. But getting back to the beginning of my message, when, when we go before God with a spirit of humility, we realize that we are owed absolutely nothing. God owes us nothing. Yet, God in his good and perfect love for us gives us all good things that we have. So my prayer is that we would look at this example of the centurion, that we would try to imitate his demeanor in how he went before Jesus, that, he, that we would go before Jesus with humility, knowing that apart from him, we are owed nothing. There's no goodness in us. But also, knowing that because of Jesus, we can go boldly to the throne of God with the prayers of our hearts because of who it is. By knowing who Jesus is, we can boldly and confidently ask and have confidence in him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness towards us, all the good gifts that you give us, namely our faith. God, we, we want to have that kind of faith that the centurion does, that bold faith that believes if you say it, it will be so. But God, sometimes our faith feels so small. God, help us uh, to remember that uh, you, you can do a lot of things with a little bit of our faith. It is about your work, not about our believing. God, we thank you for that, that it doesn't depend on us, but it all depends on your son, Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.